All right, tonight finishes up our mini-series of sorts on things that we do have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season. Just want to remind us very quickly of what we've talked about. We've talked about our salvation, a church family, the faithfulness of God, God's Word, the fact that God is mindful of us and He cares about us. And tonight will be the final message, the one that will help us for the rest of our lives. I'm sure, I'm positive that that you are going to hold on to this one forever and you will never, ever, ever struggle with this one again. Or you might, I don't know. But uh, anyway, we're going to address it, we're going to deal with it, and I hope that it will be a help to us. How many of us tonight, we we wouldn't want to be arrogant, we wouldn't want to be proud, uh, we wouldn't want to say anything that would be inappropriate or unbecoming, But if we were honest, sometimes we would have to say of ourselves, as it relates to our Christian life, I did good on that one. Have you ever had one of those moments where you, you know, you you don't want to bring too much attention to it, but, you know, if possible, you'd pat yourself on the back and you'd say, way to respond. You did good on that one. You handled yourself well. That's the way a Christian's supposed to act. Have you ever had those moments where you were just kind of, pleased with your presentation of Christianity through your life? Okay, you can just sit there and act like, no, I've never... You need to say yes, okay? At some point, you need to be thankful for some kind of a victory in your life, okay, where you did something right, you did something good, but you'd need to be careful in your spirit, of course. But uh, I've had those moments where I've said, okay, Kyle, you did good. And I know it was by the grace of God, but Kyle, you did good. You responded the way that you were supposed to. You forgave the way you were supposed to. Whatever it may be, uh, I'm thankful for those moments. But at the same time, if you and I are honest, I think we would also have to admit there have been many times, many times, where we would just have to say, what a failure. What an idiot. I'm disgusted with myself. I don't say this just because it's part of the illustration. I don't say this tonight to to try to make it sound like I can relate to the common folk. I'm being very sincere whenever I say this. This week on Thursday morning it was just nothing gross or immoral or awful that I had done. Just, Just, I don't know why, it was just like I was made aware of my sinful condition and my my flesh and my struggles and Thursday morning as I was having my prayer time I just thought you're pathetic and I wasn't thinking about you I was thinking about me I am pathetic this is ridiculous this is crazy this is not the way it's supposed to be and so for myself I don't know if you'd like to admit this tonight if you were given the opportunity but for myself sometimes I find myself wrestling with things that I know ought not be said of me. I find myself struggling with things, and I'm just going to give us a couple of illustrations just to show you what I'm talking about, but sometimes I wrestle with my anger. Sometimes my anger gets the best of me. I talked about this in Sunday school for a couple of moments today, but sometimes my anger gets the best of me. Sometimes my jealousy gets the best of me. Do you know what it's like to have jealousy? You see someone and they have something that you would like to have, and, and you know you know you're supposed to be happy for them, but at the same time, that sinful flesh is rising up within you, and you're saying, well, what about me? 
That's uh, only happened to a couple of us. But for those of you who can identify with that, you know what I'm dealing with by way of a struggle where there are these jealousies in place and, and sometimes I'm selfish and sometimes I am bitter and sometimes I'm discouraged and, and sometimes I just lack contentment. It's not that I'm jealous of someone else. It's not as though I'm jealous of their situation, but just this personal struggle within me. I'm not as content as I know I'm supposed to be. And it's based upon those things, whether it be anger or jealousy or selfishness or bitterness or lack of contentment, whatever it is, that every once in a while I just think, how pathetic. How pathetic. I think things like this. You should be past this by now. You grew up in a Christian home. You've been saved since you were 12. You've been a pastor and in the ministry now, combined a little over 17 years. You should be past this. There's only one ounce of encouragement in all of this. Is that I know men who are older than me and they've been in the ministry longer than me and they are men that I would look up to in the ministry. And whenever they are honest, you know what they say? They say the exact same thing. Hey, I struggle. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I haven't reached this point where, where I don't struggle with this or this. It may not be the exact same struggle you have, but, but Kyle, I certainly have struggles. I'm thankful to know that I'm not just completely weak and flaky. There's an element of weakness, and I'm sure that there's an element of flakiness in me, but, but I think Scripture would bear out this thought or would bear out this truth that, that because of our sin nature, it is hard to get victory over certain struggles in our lives from time to time. And there are certain things that, that we wrestle with maybe more than we should. And, and, and it's not an excuse, but it is something that all of us struggle with and wrestle with throughout our daily lives. And so I say that this evening to kind of set up, obviously, where the thoughts are headed. And I, I want us to think tonight about the disciples. I don't know what your immediate thoughts are when you think about the disciples. I think for myself, it kind of depends on my mood or it depends on the setting, but I have kind of a mixed bag of thoughts or a mixed bag of feelings about the disciples. Sometimes I'm quite impressed with them, and other times I'm just shaking my head thinking, good grief, what a group of knuckleheads. You make me look much better than what I was feeling about myself earlier. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, here are the disciples, and they were able to travel with Christ for over three years, and they have witnessed many amazing miracles. The dead raised, the blinded eyes being able to see, the deaf ears being able to hear, the lame feet being able to walk. They were able to witness so many things, and yet you read things about them well into their years of ministry with Christ, and they are still doing these, these antics, and they are still pulling these stunts where you're just scratching your head thinking, my goodness, guys, shouldn't you be further along than what you are? But their spiritual growth chart really isn't my responsibility. You understand what I'm saying? It's not my place necessarily to sit back and say, well, men, you should be much further along than what you are because if I were to have that attitude with the disciples or if I were to have that attitude while preaching messages about them, there may be some merit to what I am saying, but there could also be someone standing in line then saying, well, Kyle, don't you know you ought to be further along than you are? And that's when I want to say, shut up. What do you know? What are you, what are you talking about? You don't even know me. Okay, so I, I want to be careful in how I present the disciples, 
Because at the end of the day, even if they did travel with Christ, the reality is this. They were men, just like you and I. And they had a sinful flesh that they had to battle and they had to deal with and they had to struggle with. And I don't know how many times they wanted to pat themselves on the back and say, didn't we do good? And I don't know how many times they sat there and reflected on their own failures and thought, this is pathetic. I don't know. But I do know this. We can learn, I believe, from some of their struggles and some of their issues and not to be critical of them, but to say, hey, I can identify with that. And if God will help me, I want to improve in that area to where one day I might be able to say, I've got at least a little bit more victory in my life than I used to have in relation to that. And so this evening, as we think about the disciples, let me just throw this out one more time. I've done this before in messages past, I'm sure. But the disciples were men, were they not And whenever I say men, I don't just mean by way of their gender. I mean this. They were men. I know that not all of them had the same blue-collar background, but but many of these guys were blue-collar by way of their work background. But just to survive back in their day required an extra measure of manliness that sometimes is not required of us today. Whether we want to admit to that or not. I mean, to survive in their day, uh, I promise you, it took more manliness on their part than I exert on a normal routine. That being said, in Mark chapter 4, here's some context. Christ has been teaching. And the scripture lets us know that the multitudes have assembled for the purpose of hearing Christ teach. We know that Christ often drew a crowd. We know that the people wanted to be around him to hear what he had to say and to witness what he was going to do. But as the day comes to a close and as the day draws to an end, tonight we're going to be reminded of a story that most of us are very familiar with. But as the day is going to come to an end, here is what we are going to see. We're going to see that Christ had a desire, and in the midst of his desire, we see that he was also, while 100% God, he was also 100% man. All right, so if you look in verse number 35, here's what it says by way of his desire. As the day has come to a close, and as he has been teaching, and he has been presenting to the multitude, it says this, And the same day when the even or the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Now, what it indicates in this portion of Scripture is this, is that Christ was on a bank and he was teaching the multitude from the platform or from the position of a boat. And as the day came to a close and as the day came to an end, he wanted to go to the other side of the the Sea of Galilee. I don't know how long of a distance it would have been from where Christ was at at this time. I don't know what the expected amount of time was for the travel, what he thought it was going to be. But what you see in verse number 38 is this, is that while the trip was about to begin or as the trip was in progress to go from one side of the shore to the other side of the sea, it says in verse number 38, and he was in the hinder part or the back part of the ship asleep on the pillow or on a pillow. 
And so here is Christ as the disciples are, you know, launching and they're going to go from this side of the sea to another side of the sea. Here is Christ and because he is weary and because he is tired, because he has spent himself that day teaching the multitude, he goes to the back part of the ship and he lays down on a pillow and he goes to sleep. So if you look back in verse number 36, it says this. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and they were also with him other little ships. So there were smaller ships or boats than the ones that the disciples and Christ was on. Now in verse number 37, here's what we're familiar with. It says, and there arose a great storm of wind. I don't have to explain to us tonight, do we, what wind is. We live in the Texas panhandle. We are very familiar with what a great storm of wind would be. And so it says in verse number 37, And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Most of us are not mariners, but very quickly I want to remind us of this. We know that if you're on a boat, you want the water on the outside and not on the inside. So if you are in a ship, it doesn't matter the size of the ship, if you are in a ship and the wind begins to beat and the wind, or the wind begins to blow and beat upon that ship and it causes the waves to begin to swell and to begin to crash upon that boat, so much so that the water begins to get into the ship or into the boat and to begin filling it up, we understand that if you know anything about water and boats and how they work, red flags ought to go up. That would sound something like this, or that would look something like this. This isn't good. This isn't normal. Now remember, these are men, and many of them have experience on the water. But as the wind is blowing, and as the waves are crashing and bringing the water into the ship, it says in verse number 40, that Christ is going to speak to the disciples and he's going to ask them this question. Why are ye so fearful? Why are ye so fearful? What does it mean to be fearful? We understand what it means, don't we? It means to be afraid. It's this feeling. It's this emotion. It is a, a sense of anxiety that rises up within you. And, and so here are these men, and, and because of the storm that has now arisen on the Sea of Galilee that night, they are fearful. They are experiencing an emotion. They are experiencing some anxiety that I promise you, prior to casting off from the shore, they were not expecting to happen in their lives. I don't believe for a moment that the men were saying, now listen, we're going to cast off, in about 30 minutes we should all be scared to death. I don't think they were looking at themselves and saying, okay, just a little bit, we know what's going to happen. The storm is going to produce itself, and it's going to begin bringing water into the ship, so much so that the ship will be full, and as a result of that, we're all going to be terrified. I don't think before the ship set sail that they anticipated or expected any kind of fear in their life But as the ship set sail and as the storm began to blow or the winds began to blow and the water began to fill up the boat, they were fearful. How fearful were they? 
Well, it says in verse number 38 that he was in the hinder part of the ship, that being Christ, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever gone in and awoke or awakened your children from their peaceful slumber? Unless you're just feeling ornery with them, you normally do so in a fairly gentle manner, right? Baby, wake up. Wake up. It's time to get up. It's time to go to school. It's time to get up. We're going to do whatever it is we need to do. Have you ever woken your children up in that manner? You need to if you haven't, okay? They would appreciate that. Understand, please, that is not how the disciples approached this with Christ. They did not say, where's Christ? Somebody said, oh, he's back at the back of the ship sleeping. Someone go wake him up gently. They did not go to the back of the ship and just kind of barely touch the shoulder of Jesus and say, Jesus, wake up. There's a storm brewing. That's not what they did. What did they do? In their anxiety and in their fear and, and in their, their, their sense of distress, they go back there and they wake him up and notice what they did. They had the audacity to chide Christ, to rebuke him a little bit, to scold him a little bit. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Christ, wake up. Do you not care that we're about to perish, that we're about to die? Do you not care that the storm is raging, that the wind is blowing, that the waves are crashing, that the water is filling up the boat? Don't you care that we're about to die? Now that's an attitude, is it not, when you feel the liberty to correct the Lord based upon the storm that is raging? But again, what prompted all this? It was prompted by their fear. Something that they were not expecting, something that they were not anticipating, something that they did not see on the horizon. But when the storm began to rage, it created within them this fear. And rather than having faith and rather than having trust and confidence in the power of God to see them through, to see them to the other side, no, they became fearful and they went and they woke the Lord and they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So in verse 39, we know what Christ did. It says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I don't know what it would have been like. It's only speculation on my part as it would be your part. But wouldn't it have been neat to witness Christ simply say, peace, be still. We don't know if he spoke loudly. We don't know if he just spoke it in a very simple tone like, you guys, peace be still, okay? And then everything just died down. We don't know what the approach of Christ was, but he says, peace be still, and immediately the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. All the wind stopped, all the waves laid down, there was no more water crashing into the ship, and everything came to a halt by way of the storm they had been dealing with. And that's when Christ turns and rebukes them and chides them, because he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Men, how is it that you had no trust or confidence in me? Men, how is it that you were fearful? And why is it that you were afraid that you were going to perish? Men, how is it that this could be so? I think in a sense what Christ was saying is this. You ought to be further along than this. You ought to be a little bit more mature than this. This isn't your brightest moment, men. This isn't your, your, your spotlight moment where you want to say, look at us and how good we did. No, this is one of those moments where you need to realize you failed and you realize you did not handle this the way you should have handled it. Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And in verse number 41, it says this, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. They said this to one another. We don't know. Maybe Christ calmed the storm, said, I'm going back to bed. Wake me up when we get there. We don't know exactly. But the men were sitting there saying to themselves, to one another, what manner of man is this? He speaks, and even the wind and the sea obey him. He steps out on the front of the boat and says, Peace be still, and it's a done deal. Peace be still, and the storm is over. Peace be still, and there is peace. Peace be still, and all the raging is done. Peace be still, and, and it comes to all. What manner of man is this? Now, I know, I know, I know that this is not the central idea of the text. I know that this is not the message that should technically be preached from this passage, maybe in the minds of great scholars. But I, I, I think it is safe to say this, that even though the disciples just got chewed out and just got rebuked, I think there had to be a little bit of a sense of relief Maybe even some joy, maybe even some gladness, and maybe even some thankfulness that the Lord was on the ship with them and had the ability to calm the storm with the spoken word. Yes, we just got rebuked for our lack of faith. And yes, that wasn't our greatest moment. And yes, uh, we were fearful when we should not have been fearful. Yes, yeah, we, we dropped the ball. We did not do well on this one. But I'm sure glad he was here. I'm sure glad he could just stand up, speak, peace be still, and it all be done. I, I, I think if human nature is at all consistent throughout the ages... I think even though they just got in trouble, they were thankful. They were thankful that their God had the authority over the storm in their life. This probably isn't too hard to see where this is going, is it? <laughs> if you don't know where it's headed... I apologize, but I'm going to spell it out for us for just a couple of moments, and then we'll be done. 
I struggle with anger. I struggle with jealousy. I struggle with contentment at times. Struggle with bitterness. And I know that those are not my brightest moments in my Christian life. You know what else reveals my lack of faith and me not being where I should be sometimes in my Christian life? It's that simple matter of fear. You don't wrestle with that one, do you? You don't wrestle with anger. You don't wrestle with jealousy. You don't wrestle with bitterness. You don't wrestle with contentment or a lack thereof. And and you don't wrestle with fear, do you? But I do. What are you afraid of, Brother Kyle? Oh, lots of things. Big spiders, mice, snakes, uh, you name it. Lots of things I'm afraid of. But I'm fearful of other things, like an economy crashing. So why would you be fearful of that? I don't know, because sometimes I don't have enough to be worried about already, so I need to worry about something that could happen. (laughs) Y'all just look at me like I'm the only one here tonight dealing with this. That's fine. But, But sometimes I listen to the financial condition that our nation is in and that our world is in and how the debt just keeps climbing and how, you know, people just keep spending as though there's no consequence for this. And everyone who talks knows that, you know, at some point we're going to have to pay for this. There's going to be adjustments. There's going to be collapses. There are going to be problems. There are going to be issues. And, and pretty soon China's going to, going to own us and, and all these different things. And, and there are times, it's like, okay, okay, okay. How much gold do I need to buy? How much silver do I need to buy? How many commodities do I need to buy? What do I need to do? How many groceries do we need to have stockpiled in the car, you know, in, in the freezer? What do I need to do? And I find myself getting fearful. Not even about a particular storm I'm in, but a particular storm I could possibly be in one day. I find myself wrestling with fear. Sometimes I look at the world that we live in, and I don't just think about our economy, but I think about uh, my children. I'm getting old enough now that I sound like one of those people that says something like this. I'm scared of the world that my children will one day live in and the, and the world that they will raise their children in. Because the world that I grew up in, we're never going to see that again. And I get fearful because I'm thinking, what about this and the challenges here and the difficulties here and the struggles here? And it begins to cause me to have this anxiety sometimes. And it begins to make me, you know, have this doubt and this uncertainty and this fear. And here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me that my faith is not what it's supposed to be. I find myself fearful sometimes of things like persecution. Because it's possible. 
It's just something that is possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it is possible. It could happen. And I, I've thought to myself, okay, what will we do if persecution begins? What will we do if persecution begins to happen? Where will we run? Where will we hide? Where will we seek this safe shelter? What are we going to do? And if I'm not careful, I can get myself worked up into an emotional lather because I am fearful of the possible storm that may be taking place or brewing somewhere in the future. Now, again, I'm just saying this is me. You may not have that particular fear, but there are fears like that. There are fears of, you know, concentration camps. When all these conspiracy theorists start talking about, well, you know, the government shut down several Walmarts and they're doing this Jade Helm operation and this exercise, and what they're really doing is beginning to figure out how to round up people and institute martial law and yada, yada, yada. And I'm sitting there going, oh, great, I'm going to end up living in Walmart. I don't like it when it's fully stocked, much less when it's a bunch of prisoners, okay? I I mean, you know, it's just like, great, I'm going to end up living somewhere in central Texas in a Walmart. Nobody's going to be able to see me, and nobody's going to be able to find me. And what will my attitude be like, and how will I respond? Will I maintain a Christian testimony? What's it going to be? It's like, are you serious? Rein that in a little bit. How is it that ye have no faith? Be honest. Do you ever struggle with fear? Well, not about the stuff you're talking about. I I didn't ask if it was what I'm talking about. Some of you may think that's a dream come true. I could live in Walmart? (laughs) That would not be what you want, I promise you. Even Walmart would get old after a Okay, maybe not for all of you, but for some of you, it would get old no matter how much you love it. But, I mean, think about it. Do you have fear sometimes? Do you have these moments where you find yourself worrying? Some people may say, well, I'm not a worrier by nature, but other people may say, I am a worrier by nature, and I find myself anxious. I find myself having these anxieties, and it can be what I'm going through now that causes the fear. It can be sometimes what could happen, what might happen, what looks like is going to happen. How many times do we let this fear get a hold of us and begin to control us so much so in ways that we respond and react or live in ways that we ought not live. This evening, if you know what I'm talking about, to struggle with fears or doubts or worries or concerns, whatever you'd like to call it this evening, I'm not here to rebuke us this evening because I would need to start with myself, okay? I'm not here to rebuke you. What I'm here to do tonight is this, to remind us that allegorically speaking, Jesus Christ is still in the boat. He is still in the boat, and we may know that, that you know, the, the wind is blowing, and we may be aware of the storms, we may be mindful of the possibility of issues and struggles ahead. We may know all these things, but if Jesus is in the boat, we can understand that God has complete control of the environment we are in right now. It doesn't matter what the storm is. It doesn't matter what the wind is. It doesn't matter what represents the water that is filling our boat. That does not matter. Jesus Christ, the Lord God, is still in complete control of the circumstances and the environment and the situations of our life. And when we worry and when we fear, we are doing nothing but wasting good time. 
It's true. Because we serve a God who simply has to say, peace, be still. And when he says, peace, be still, the wind will cease and the calm comes. And everything that had alarmed us prior to that, we realize, wow, God had control even over that. So see, you may be sitting here this evening saying, well, I've been worrying about this, and I've been worried about this, and I've been worried about this, and I've lost some sleep over this, and I've been mindful of this, and what about this, and you know, I've got to think about this. Okay, that may be what you've been wrestling with, but I just want to remind us tonight, you don't have to. You don't have to. You do not have to be fearful because Jesus Christ is in full control of the situation, whether we realize it or not. He is in full control of the economy, of terrorism, of concentration camps, of living in Walmart, whatever it may be. God is in complete control. And if we'll remember that, when the doubt and the worry and the fear began to creep in, if we will remember that when we began to get anxious and we began to lose sleep, if we will remember that God is in complete control, you know what we can say? We can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are in complete control of this situation. And though my initial response was to fret, though my initial response was to be worried, to get worked up, to be fearful, Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to be that way. I can place my trust and my confidence in you completely because the manner of man that you are is that even the wind and the sea obey you. God has it all under control. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I thank you that fear is not something that needs to define us. It is not something that needs to control us.